Hey, folks, if you've been listening to our show, you've probably heard Victor talk about Hillsdale College. It's one of the few colleges in the U.S. still interested in teaching truth. What you probably didn't know is that they have over 40 free online courses. And Victor is one of the professors in three of those courses, American Citizenship and its Decline, based on Victor's book, The Dying Citizen, How Progressive Elites, Tribalism, and Globalization Are Destroying the Idea of America, The Second World Wars, based on his book by the same name, and Athens and Sparta, partly based on his book, A War Like No Other, How the Athenians and Spartans Fought the Peloponnesian War. Don't you wish Victor would have been one of your professors in college? Well, now you can join him as he covers some of the main ideas of his books with Hillsdale College's online courses, all available for free. That's right, for free. The courses are seven to nine episodes long, and they are self-spaced, so you can take them whenever and wherever. I think I'm going to start with American Citizenship and Its Decline, where Victor explores the history of citizenship in the West and the threats it faces today. Threats like the erosion of the middle class, the disappearance of our borders, the growth of an unaccountable deep state, and the rise of globalist organizations. Hey, start your free course with Victor Davis Hansen today. Go right now to hillsdale.edu slash vdh to start. It's free and it's easy to get started. That's hillsdale.edu slash vdh to start. hillsdale.edu slash vdh. <laughs> Ladies, hello, gentlemen. This is the Victor Davis Hanson Show. I'm Jack Fowler, the host. You're here to listen to the star and namesake, the wisdom he dispenses four times a week. That's Victor Davis Hanson, who is the Martin and Ely Anderson Senior Fellow at the Hoover Institution and the Wayne and Marshall Buskey Distinguished Fellow in History at Hillsdale College. Victor has an official website, The Blade of Perseus. Its address is Victor Hanson. Dot com. We'll talk more about that towards the end of the show. A couple of topics to talk about on this first uh, post-Thanksgiving, all the stuffing digested episode, Victor. Um, Wall Street Journal the other day put out a, a, a quite interesting poll about the American dream and it's disappearing in the eyes of Americans and the questions I'd like to ask of you, and I think our listeners would like to know from you is, are, is the American dream a good dream? What is it? And who's to blame for its disappearing? And we'll get your thoughts on that, Victor, and other topics right after these important messages. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with factors, no prep, no mess meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factors Fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. 
Make today the day you kickstart a new healthy routine. What are you waiting for? For our listeners, Factor is giving you 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month when you use the promo code VICTOR50 at factormeals.com slash VICTOR50. Choose from six menu preferences to help you manage calories, maximize protein intake, avoid meat, or simply eat well-balanced. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Remember, to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month, head to factormeals.com slash victor50, that's V-I-C-T-O-R-5-0, and use the code victor50, that's code victor50, at factormeals.com slash victor50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Can't pay the IRS? Haven't filed in a while? Receiving threatening letters? Yeah, it's about to get worse. The IRS is hiring an army of agents targeting hardworking Americans like you. You need warriors on your side. You need Tax Network USA. Tax Network USA has brilliant strategies to solve your IRS problems quickly and in your favor. For instance, they've discovered a limited-time special offer that the IRS is willing to waive $1 billion in penalties. Find out if you qualify before it's too late. Never call the IRS alone. Let Tax Network USA attorneys handle it. They have preferred direct lines to the IRS. They know which agents to work with and which to avoid. They've resolved over $1 billion in tax debts and offer a best-in-class guarantee. Schedule your free consultation now. Call 1-800-245-6000. That's 1-800-245-6000. Or visit TNUSA.com slash Victor. TNUSA.com slash Victor. We're back with the Victor Davis Hanson Show. Victor, the poll that came out, um, I think the day before Thanksgiving, or maybe even Thanksgiving Day, voters see American dreams slipping out of reach. This is a new Wall Street Journal poll. Only 36% of voters in the new Wall Street Journal, NORC, I'm not sure what NORC is, survey, uh, said the American dream still holds true, substantially fewer than 53% who said so in 2012. The survey goes on to make note of the youth of America, whatever you want to call youth, 18 to 35, I, I think, particularly see no dream ahead of them in their life. Work hard and you'll get ahead. That's baloney. What are your thoughts, Victor? Is there an American dream? What is it? Was it good? And yeah, the, the American dream was that you could say what you wanted. You had freedom of expression and lifestyle. You were, if you worked hard and played by the so-called rules, then you prospered and you were secure. Tell that to somebody who's living in Chicago, San Francisco, Los Angeles, Baltimore, Washington, Memphis, Minneapolis. If you go into those cities, there's carjackings, there's mass looting, there's theft, there's human excrement on the sidewalk. You fill up your tank in California, it's five fifty a gallon. You go in to buy something to wire your house. It's $120 for a roll of wire that used to cost 30 So 
Bidenomics really did a lot because suddenly we went from a 30-year mortgage of 1.9 to 7 plus. And on the basket of essentials for life, food, gas, energy, housing, we're up to about 25% more than when Biden took office. So what he does is he just pathologically lies. He just says, well, inflation's 2% from last month or from me. No, no, it's from when you started. And then he says, well, I bought more jobs. No, you started when there was the COVID lockdown and people had been laid off in the millions and it just was a natural rebound. And you made it worse by uh, engineering the economy when you had, you know, pent up demand and we had the supply chain and you poured money onto that and gave more purchasing power to people who already had it and you ruined the currency. So when you look at energy, check, bad. You look at housing, interest rates, check, bad. You look at inflation, check, bad. You look at crime, check, bad. You look at the border, check, bad. And that causes a general feeling of malaise and depression. And, and people, the most common thing that I hear if, I, if I'm going somewhere and somebody wants to talk, they say, what happened to the country? What the hell happened to the country? When did, when did Americans say that you, you could go into an Apple store and just steal and you would be exempt? Or when did, when did Americans say that people could come from the Middle East and disrupt Thanksgiving or tear down flags on Veterans Day or try to disrupt Black Friday shopping or take over bridges or scout out and harass and try to harm Jewish students at our universities? Weren't they guests? Aren't we their host? Is that how they reciprocate our magnanimity? So they, there's a lot of things that bother them. And they look at overseas and they're tired of wars and they don't want optional engagements. But on the other hand, if you have the largest concentration of military force in recent memory off the coast of Lebanon or the Eastern Mediterranean in general, and every single day an appendage of Iran is attacking and trying to kill Americans and your president either does not react or does small reactions that are proportionate and they're only encouraging it. So they get depressed and they say to themselves, what did the leftists do with the power we gave them? And they flooded us with immigrants who don't like us. And they allowed crime to escalate to out of control proportions. And they hurt us economically. And they humiliated us abroad, whether in Afghanistan or other places, Chinese balloon, China, etc. And, and they have... They're angry about it. So they're starting to say, these people did this to us, and they're shielded from the consequences of their ideology because they're all wealthy. In the United States, they're a bicoastal elite. They count on their influence and their money, and they're networking to shield them from the crime they created, from the cost, uh, costly inflation they created, from the housing crisis they created. So people are getting really angry at them. And they lash out. And that doesn't help when the academic world and the media world calls them drags and clingers and deplorables and irredeemables, chumps, semi-fascist. When you have Joe Biden saying, let's it's Thanksgiving. We're the greatest nation in the world. We've got to unite, man. While he sends out a little manifesto to how to talk to your ultra MAGA people at Thanksgiving, which is just a litany of lies and disparagements.
Yeah, Victor, also on the on the cultural front, especially I would assume if you're a woman, a lot of a lot of women, girls participate in sports. And to to know that in high school you're gonna the odds there's a possibility that no matter how hard you you train and you become a senior that um you're not going to make the states this year because some dude has become be honest so be honest jack the trans movement is really anti-women it's not anti-men it's giving men a a a great advantage where you have men taking over their beauty pageants mr universe miss universe you have them take over their sports they they dress in their locker rooms and we don't see any trans men that were women that transitioned to men dominating sports, but you should because they say that biological determination is irrelevant. It doesn't exist. Right. You are what you are. You're a full-fledged male when you say you are. Okay, win the discus, you know, win the sprint. They don't. And then go into a laptop or, well, you know, laptop dancing or something, you know, lap dancing. Do some sexually provocative thing like the Miss Universe pageant if you're a trans man. And they don't. And so it's asymmetrical. Men right. become feminine, but women don't become hypermasculine is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. And so, so it is directed at women. Right. But if the American dream in part is work hard. Get ahead, which can be business, could be, you know, studying, right? Same thing with school. I'm going to kill myself. I'm going to work hard because I want to get to Yale, even though, uh, you know, I, hypothetical person here, may have the view that Yale is still Yale, right? As opposed to some elitist grant. But there's no way if I'm Jack Fowler's son and I'm the valedictorian and I'm the captain. Everybody knows that. Yeah. So this is like work hard and get ahead. Uh, no wonder the American. No, you can't. Is- if you're a white male of the middle class, you're not going to get into a quote unquote prestigious school, no matter how perfect your SAT score, which is now optional, and no matter how perfect your GPA and how brilliant your essay, you're not going to get in. When you take 20 to 30 percent white students and they're inordinately women, and you get down to 10 to 15% white males, that is about, that handles that small number, the children of the elite, the children of the alumni, the children of the donors, the children of the administrators and faculty, and there's no, and athletes, and there's no room for you. And they they do that deliberately, but they all take care of their own. So the, the biggest proponents of proportional, or demographic proportional, admissions, which are now gone to repertory admissions, the biggest advocates have no problem getting on the phone and say, what the hell? My kid didn't get in. I've given you 10 million bucks. I'm the seventh person in my family to go to Harvard. Come on. And he gets in. But not the middle class kid from, you know, Toledo. Who cares about him? Yeah. Well, the American dream is kind of dependent on meritocracy and and uh, the 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 enemy of it, it i think is equity but that be fair to I say i think the immigration is really starting to alarm people that they're starting okay. to understand that when you and for me it's bewildering because i wrote mexifornia 22 years ago but when you allow millions of people to come from one geographical area without diversity without meritocracy without skills and come without English 
and come illegally, then you have a recipe for disaster. And the only way to remedy that, if you're still going to do that, would be to have a confident host that insists on assimilation and integration. But when you have the left, the European and American, or indeed Western left, and their whole rationale for this is nobody wants our agenda. Nobody polls 51% for what we're doing on the border or crime or the economy or foreign policy or energy. So we need new constituents. And when they come in, we give them entitlements and we make them swear fealty to the left. And and if you think that's just, oh, he Victor's a advocate of Tucker Carlson's great replacement. No, it's I'm just quoting what they wrote themselves, the new demographic the new democratic majority, demography is destined. These are titles of books by the left in triumphalist fashion. And this October 7th has really shocked them because a lot of architects of these policies are seeing that these people they let in from the Middle East hate them, despise them. And uh, it'll be curious to see how it works out in the next election because I don't know whether the 250,000 Muslim voters of Michigan, to take one example, are serious when they say they're not going to vote for. I doubt that they will do that because the alternative will be a conservative that that gets elected. But that's their threat. If I don't get my way on Hamas, if I don't get to support October 7th, then I'm not going to vote for Joe Biden. And uh, we'll see. Well, Michigan is uh, is plus five for Trump uh, as we as we are recording. I don't to think them. it's going to make a difference in the next election in Michigan. I really yeah. don't. And I think I have a lot of friends in the Middle East. I like a lot of people from the Middle East. And you want to go up to them and say, are you blank, blank crazy? Do you really think that going into Brentwood and going to a, a home of a prominent Jewish person and throwing blood on his driveway, fake blood, and screaming at him at Thanksgiving and harassing him or right. shutting down the Golden Gate or hassling right. shoppers the day after Thanksgiving or for the first time in history rerouting the Thanksgiving Day Parade or tearing down an American flag? You think that's going to make we all of us say, you know what? I watched all that in TV, and I think these guys are right. I think that mutilation and decapitation and necrophilia, all that was a good thing on October 7th. Yeah. Is that what they think? Or to have somebody with a mat, you look at a crowd, and they're defacing American property, and they have these masks on, and they're screaming and yelling, and then when they're interviewed, they're they're just crazy with their lust for death. And then when you juxtapose all of that braggadocio on October 7th and all of what the crowds are saying, and then the supposed we love death and the Israelis are decadent, they love life. And then these so-called nerds go into Gaza and they say, here we are. And they go scamper down into tunnels. If you like death so much, come out and kill Israelis and let them fight it out. But they don't. So everybody looks at all this disconnect you know wait a minute you came over here on your own volition right you wanted to join us why are you attacking us what it, it we have so going the up. formal former iranian 
ambassador to the UN who flew over to Iran periodically at a professor at Oberlin. We have a professor at Princeton who was one of Iran's top diplomats, and they're both in connection and in contact with the Iranian government. One of them flew to Soleimani's funeral, and they despise us. They're pro-Hamas, they're pro-Iran, and they're American universities. And if you ask either one of them, hey, you know, this is a good idea, this cultural exchange. I think I'm going to go over to the University of Tehran. And over there, I'm going to cheer on, I don't know, the the Israeli retaliation on October 7th. Not only would you be hung, hanged, but these people who are over here would be the first to hang you. And that's what's so strange about it. This arrogance, this narcissist, self-absorption. Also, Victor, I've I've kvetched about this on prior episodes, but I guess the one institution in the U.S. that should be conscious and on the lookout is the FBI, very conscious about parents protesting at school board meetings and maybe the guy that goes to Latin mass. But these enemies of you, the U.S., like China has a freaking police station in downtown New York City to harass um, uh, Chinese nationals. We have um, these this uh, radical Palestinian operation has been alive and well in America for decades. And I just want to have, have any of these things been infiltrated? Shouldn't the FBI, not the FBI, the New York police have known ahead of time that these clowns are going to disrupt the, the Macy's parade just to pick. No, you know why they don't? Because they're looking at Latin masses and they're going after school boards and they're going to Roger Stone's house and their performance art swarming the homes of, of abortion protesters. That's their enemy. Not th- This is fused with the DEI industry. It's one of the weirdest things in the world. This far-left DEI has merged with one of the most far-right fascistic movements, which is Hamas. And they've merged. And so, no, the FBI gives keeps away from them. But that's not new. Remember the Sarnab brothers? The Russians, of all people, warned the FBI. Right. This family are terrorists, and they're going into your country, and we're no friend of yours, but you should watch out. And they didn't do anything. There's a whole San Bernardino terrorist, the same thing. They interviewed them. They know about this. And they don't do anything because it's politically incorrect, I guess. Or they, they're busy doing something else, which, you know, it's a whole nother question whether they're worth the amount of investment and expenditure we put to the FBI, today's FBI. But I, I guess what I'm saying is that this new phenomenon that we br- we're bringing in millions of people because the left wants a constituency because its message is no longer resonant, it doesn't work. And everybody on the left knows it doesn't work. I mean, they had a, what, a child molester that was found at Martha's Vineyard or, or is it Nantucket? And we saw what happened at Martha's Vineyard in Chicago. And then we have Eric Adams. And then the weird thing is when people protest on the left, all of a sudden, if you protest, if you're a leftist and you protest and you are kind of a crook, which is okay with the left, look what happens to Eric Adams. All of a sudden, we learned that he's getting illegal campaign donations. They knew that for years from Turkey. Then we found out that years ago he may have had a sexual assault. Menendez, we find out, oh, he's a crook, you think? But they had no problem with that. But you cross them. 
Like Elon Musk is another example. You just cross them. They had no problem with Elon Musk. He was their hero because of Tesla. And you cross them one time and they, they're they vindictive people. Yeah. Well, Victor, you mentioned Gavin Newsom before, and we'll get back to uh, some a little bit about him and Thanksgiving. And then we'll talk about a piece you've written uh, for American Greatness on Western Civilization in Europe. And we'll do all that right after these important messages. Have you heard of cancer-fighting foods? The American Cancer Society discovered diets rich in fruits and veggies may actually lower, lower your risk of cancer. Hopefully you hear this and run to the store for five servings of fruits and vegetables every day. If not, you should consider adding Field of Greens your daily health regimen. Each fruit and veggie in Field of Greens was doctor-selected for studied health benefits. There's a heart health group, lungs, kidneys, and metabolism groups, even healthy weight. What your body needs is found in each scoop of delicious Field of Greens. Will Field of Greens prevent, treat, or cure cancer? No, but it's so powerful, it promises at your next checkup, your doctor will notice your improved health or your money back. I got you 15% off and free rush shipping. Visit fieldofgreens.com and use the promo code VICTOR, V-I-C-T-O-R, for your discount. That's promo code VICTOR at fieldofgreens.com, fieldofgreens.com. At Just the News, we break the stories others in the media ignore or are too afraid to tell. We did it on Russia collusion. Hunter Biden and the security and intelligence failures that preceded January 6th. Our stories have real impact and reach because we stick to the facts. I'm John Solomon. You can help me expand our honest, unvarnished, and unbiased reporting by becoming a premium member at Just the News. You'll get an ad-free experience and exclusive member-only access to events, and you'll be helping us dig up more truth. Join today at justthenews.com slash subscribe. We're back with the Victor Davis Hanson Show. So, uh, Victor, maybe you didn't mention news, so maybe I did, but you mentioned Biden inflation. Just to get one last Thanksgiving thing done. And Newsom is uh, a couple of days from now, what, uh, well, from when this broadcast is, this episode is being aired, uh, he will be debating Ron DeSantis. That's on November 30th. But Newsom put out this tweet. Uh, he Here's the headlines from the Daily Wire. Gavin Newsom implies inflation pains are a conservative lie. And then he has a tweet. Things you won't see on Fox News today. Prices for Thanksgiving are down from Turkey to air travel. And he even has things like the cost of peas and pie crust, etc. You know, down one percent. Well, down one percent. Peas are less than one percent. Think a year of the logic, ago. though, Jack. Yeah. <laughs> My party and me, we we rose prices twenty five percent in just two years until they got to the point where nobody could afford them, and the economy starting to slow down. So now they're not rising as much, or they're one percent less than they were last year after they increased twenty five percent food. And so, wow. They're not 25% higher than January 2021. Now they're 24% higher. That's great. No, we're, we want it to go down to 22% and have a 3% inflation rate over two and a half years, three years. You can't do that, Gavin. Nobody's that stupid. Yeah, to believe well, I that. don't know how else you try to spin 
because people aren't that stupid. But people, the, the what is the average household? Five, six thousand dollars a year more in cost than the year. You should see prior his state. and being being uh, wooed by cranberry prices dropped over see, a year. Yeah, you Go should ahead. see this state. Uh, I drove up to see my daughter in Newcastle near Auburn. And you go down the 99, the main north-south central lateral in California, which is the most dangerous freeway in the United States per miles driven. And there are, there are passages now where on the construction, I swear to God that you will go in a lane and you will be directed into one lane. And there are barriers on each side with three or four inches clearance. And this, and you've got a whole bunch of cars that can't navigate it. And it's a death trap. If any private company did that in their parking lot, they would be sued. And it's construction everywhere in California. And it's not because we're moving ahead. It's because our ossified system is so decrepit because we've divert, diverted so much money to stupid wind and solar and tearing down dams and building high-speed rail and half the births in the state are on Medi-Cal. We're not investing. And that's his state. That's what he's done. He was mayor of San Francisco. He was lieutenant governor. He's governor. He's got, you know, to over 20 years that he was in control of things. And the record is there to see. I really hope when he debates DeSantis, he has the guts to stand up and say, I promise I'll do for America what I did for California. And we'll see what happens. But anybody who lives in the state, and now they're, you know, 16% income tax. That's what right. they're talking about. It's insane. And what do you get for that if you're living in San Francisco and you make three hundred and fifty thousand a year and you're a techie or a lawyer and you pay sixteen percent on it and you get what? Homeless crime? Roll down your window and put a placard, please don't rob my car. And so it's what's weird about all this, just to sum up this I, I don't want to rant, but what is strange about this is this is different. This is fundamentally psychologically, socially, economically, culturally different than our past crisis. When you had the Great Depression, when you had the 60s, when you had the 2008 meltdown, when you had 9-11, everybody understood there had been a lapse, a breakdown, and it had to be corrected. This time, it's different because this is a self-inflicted suicidal impulse in which when crime goes up, the old remedy of arresting people for crime and greater is not there. And when gas prices go up, that's good, not bad. When we get humiliated abroad, we'll keep getting humiliated abroad. So it's a whole fundamental effort to redefine what the United States is by destroying it. It really is. It's different. It's different. I never thought in my life that I would go into a pharmacy and see every, almost everything locked up. I was in, I won't mention the big home supply, but it's either Lowe's or Home Depot, so you guys can guess. And I bought a trash can, right, Jack? A rubber trash can, plastic. Yeah. Right. $72 <laughs> for a trash no. can. Yes. Yes, it had two little <laughs> wheels on it. There's no, it's not about 30 gallon or whatever. I brought it. I come out. There's a sticker on the side. And she says, wait a minute, open that up. I said, what? Because it had a lid. So she opened the lid and she put her head in. Said, I'm sorry, but 
you do not you wouldn't believe how many trash cans we sell they put merchandise inside this yeah yeah. I said, are you serious? And she goes, they do it all the time. And she said, I said, well, I came in here the, the other night and you had the automatic checkout. You're all closed down. She said, we have to because they go run right through it. And then there's a car in the curb that picks up and takes them off. And there's no consequences. You know, and it's all written into the uh, budget, you know, two or three percent loss. I, uh, I, my son bought a house, my youngest son. John and I, I've done this with my two other sons who, who own houses. I go buy them everything you need for tools, you know, power saws, and drills, and screwdrivers, and all kinds of ladders, etc. You own a house, you're going you're gonna to need these basic things. And John, I bought about three months ago. What cost me 500 bucks three years ago is now over $1,000. This is at Lowe's. I mean, it's it's shocking. I'm, and I'm thank, thankful I haven't need, needed to buy wood of any kind because I'd probably pass out at the cost of a two-by-four, you know, nowadays. So staggering. Um, by the way, Victor, one other thought of California, and then we move on to Western, Western Europe, but the California Policy Center, Ed Ring, has a story like, what's it costing you for your 16% uh, potential uh, income tax is is going to be water rationing. And there's a, there's a percolating through the, the uh, uh, administrative state out there. Senate, it's going to, the California State Water Board held a hearing to implement how it will, uh, how it's going to implement Senate Bill 1157, which was passed by the legislature to cut water use from 47 gallons per person to 42 gallons per person by the end of 2030, just to torture people, pay more, get less. I, I, 42 gallons may sound like a lot, but on a daily basis for washing, cooking, etc., it's not. It's just uh, you're getting squat for your money. You're getting driven out of the state. Anyway, well, Victor. Last uh, year, the Sierra, Sierra Nevada watershed, along with the Klamath and Cascades, had one of the greatest runoffs in history, probably the greatest. 90% of that water, by intent, went out of the San Joaquin and its tributaries and the Sacramento and its tributaries out to the Delta, by intent. And why this was happening, they voted and they now have finished destroying four dams on the Klamath River. Four dams. Hydroelectric, yes, 80,000 customers, gone. Recreation, gone. Water storage, gone. Flood control, gone. And so we don't have a water storage. We have a water policy problem. It's not the water storage problem. We have we could build plenty of water storage. We have the natural wherewithal to give us water, but we don't do it because the people on the coast who are very wealthy uh, have an alliance with the very poor representatives, and they're both on the left. And the one side says, you guys vote for all of our environmental green projects that hurt your own constituents. And we'll give you free stuff that we don't get. We pay taxes on. But you, we get the environmental stuff and you get the entitlements. And that's how they work. And the result is that all this water and snow goes out to the ocean. So we could have had 10 million acre feet of storage at Los Banos Grandes, 
at Temperance Flat, at the Sites Reservoir. They were all on the drawing boards. They've all been budgeted, and they didn't build them. And it's just their next big thing is they cannot stand the idea that uh, Californians have a constitutional right to have a water right. In other words, you own a piece of property. Underneath it, you own the oil, but you also own the water, even though it's fungible like oil underneath. And that's what they don't like. So what's coming down the the agenda is they're going to have everybody out in the rural area that pumps their own water have it metered. You pay for the well of fifty, eighty, one hundred and fifty thousand dollars. You pay for the maintenance. You pay for the electricity to pump it, but the water right under your feet is not yours. It's the states, the collective, the socialist commune owns it, and then we're going to regulate it. But you can. Be sure that Gavin Newsom and Nancy Pelosi's Napa estate, all of those people are going to have plenty of water for their gardens. And gas stoves. You saw you saw that. Thanksgiving. I saw Kamala Harris's. Yeah, absolutely. And I ride my bike around the Stanford campus and I see some very beautiful homes and they're lush and they require a lot of water. They really do. And there's a big Crystal Springs Reservoir right up the road on 280 that's full and that coming all the way from Northern California. And they don't, nobody touches that one. They don't say, we got to drain this to go out and save the Delta smell. So the, it's a problem. It's a socioeconomic cultural problem in California where you have the richest people in the world by zip code or in whatever you want to rubric you use number of billionaires, number of half billionaires, and then you have the poorest people in the United States and they're juxtaposed and they have an alliance. Subsidize us and open the borders. You will be protected by your money and influence, but in turn, we will have our guys be in politics and we will vote for banning gas stoves, do this, but there is one caveat. You will not re enforce the law on us. And what do I mean by that? I think I've said in this podcast before, Jack, I could go by in the next 24 hours, I could go to a swap meet or a corner I know, and I could buy a bicycle, a hoe, a shovel, food, you name it. And I will pay no income tax. Flowers, absolutely. I could buy anything I want. I can buy lawnmowers, blowers, anything. I'll pay no sales tax, no sales tax. And the people who are selling it will pay no income tax. We have the largest underground economy in the entire United States. And it's by design because the powers that be will not go into so-called marginalized communities or areas and enforce sales tax laws or income tax laws as they do to everybody else. And so it's, a, it's the most regulated and the least regulated state in the union. It's wild out here. I mean, you yeah. can if, you should, if I, you should if have I, bought a garbage can, Victor. <laughs> I, I dream sometimes that I won't mention the direction from my home that I could just take it, this neighbor plot, and put it on one of those Chinese balloons and float it over to the Stanford campus and plop it down in faculty area right there. Right. Yeah. So you know what? This is what you created. Right. So here's seven Winnebagos. Here's 20 chickens. Here's 30 dogs with no vaccinations, no license. Here's a couple of horses. Here's maybe 40 people living on a single zoned house. Here's Romex. Here's porta potties. 
that's it. And they're, you're going to be your neighbors. How's that? Well, we know the answer from Martha's Vineyard, don't we? Right. Right. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. What a stunt. Great stunt that was. Too bad it was a stunt. <laughs> got people very angry. <laughs> yeah. It's really there's certain things that when the right finally wakes up and does it, it gets people angry. Another thing that got I, I mentioned it, they made them irate when Trump came in and he applied that travel ban. And they want to say it's Islamic phobia. And then he applied it to Venezuela, you know, Cuba, I think. But the people got so angry were the left and especially the Middle Eastern left. And it was like, I have a fellowship at Harvard. You can't stop me from going to the United States and damning the country when I get there. Come on. Or, hey, I'm a consultant. I, I, I got to leave you know, Nablus, I come to the United States. What's wrong? I hate your country. Let me in. It was so, they were so angry that somebody finally said, I'm going to give you your wish. You don't like us and you don't have to come here. We don't want to make you suffer. Stay there. Yeah. Uh, too much. Hey, Victor, we're going to, we're going to pick up on your uh, thoughts on Western Europe and Western civilization, and what's Europe's role, if anything, anymore in defending it and advocating it and articulating its history. And we'll get to that right after these important messages. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm -mm -mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. with the Victor Davis Hansen show. Victor, before we pick up on what your your uh, Western Europe or your Europe piece about Western civilization, I, I do want to just let our listeners know that on, I, I think our last podcast, may, maybe it came out on Thanksgiving Day, we had talked about a study. Uh, I raised this, a COVID vaccine study. And of course, we're talking, we, we can't give out, you know, 900 character web addresses. But if anyone's interested in finding that study, I want to recommend that they go to uh, your uh, uh, Twitter page, at VD Hansen, where you, where you uh, link to the podcast. And I have uh, replied to that, that tweet of yours. I don't know if we can still call them tweets um, with the web address. And also for folks who are on Facebook who are interested at the uh, very friendly uh, Victor Davis Hansen fan club, which is not an official 
part of the, of your life, Victor. But they're you know just great folks. About sixty thousand people in this group on Facebook. I've posted the link to this COVID vaccination study also. So uh, please check that out. Uh, Victor, on your, uh, for American Greatness, and this can also be read on on uh, at the Blade of Perseus, your your webpage. You you have a, an essay. Can Europe become Western again? And it begins for the first time in a millennium. Europe no longer plays a critical role in promoting Western civilization, nor in world history at large. That's quite. Uh, I'll call it an accusation for the sake of discussion. Victor, uh, tell us about yeah, what's true. I mean, since nineteen forty, since nineteen forty-five, Europe has surrendered its influence, and it's really quite striking because if you think about it, its population, the greater Eurozone is much bigger than ours. It's about 800 million people. And if you think about it, the EU uh, and the Eurozone, I should say, has a second largest GDP in the world. Uh, after It's larger than China's. And when you look at uh, science and technology and industry, it's still among the leaders. So you would think that it would exercise a prominent role in world affairs. But I don't know whether it was the trauma of the two world wars or it was its long held uh, infatuation with socialism. But it has now, its economy is stagnant. Its energy policy is suicidal. It's foregone using clean coal or natural gas or oil. France is the only country that really does um, nuclear power to any large extent, at least in Western Europe. It, it doesn't spend 2%. I think six countries do. That's it of its budget on its self-defense. If the United States didn't help it, I think Putin could go all the way through to the Thames. So all of its all of its deeply held beliefs, consensus, whether it's open borders, unlimited immigration, redistribution, uh, disarmament, they fail. And it's too bad because that if the if Europe would get back to a free society and a free market capitalist economy and a, you know, a very muscular defense uh, collective defense industry and preparedness and deterrent, along with the United States, the two of them would would operate in a way that would be very good for the world. And they can't. We don't have a partner there. And now that we're hemorrhaging, they're going to lose their partner because we are no longer in a position financially, culturally, politically, socially to be the big beacon of Western civilization. You can see that in our streets. And what our, our reaction in our universities to October 7th. And so, as I keep saying, there's something going on in Europe, in France, in Germany, in Greece, in Italy, in Spain, in Britain. But I don't know if it's going to be enough or it's too late. There's some people say we have to, to spend more in defense. We've got to yeah. import natural gas or frack ourselves. We've got to watch our immigration. It's just killing us. 20 to 25% of European countries, the people are not born in that country. And they can look to California where it's the highest of any state, 
And that's an enormous challenge when you have 27% of your population that are mostly coming as impoverished uh, immigrants under illegal auspices without capital skills or English. And then when you have a host that's lost confidence and ability to integrate them in the body politic, you've got what we have in California on a continental dimension in Europe. And so this article got a lot of heat, Jack, because a lot of yeah. people wrote me and said, what's wrong with you? Europe is over. They deserve it. They're gone, Victor. They're just wimps. They're socialists. They're, all they want to do is eat and screw. They're worthless. They hate us. And I th and so my article was, yeah, I know that. And I don't like that. I like to bring them back in as a partner. I mean, they caused two world wars, but they also helped us end them. And there was something majestic about the French army at one time and the British intelligence agencies. And my God, uh, the Norwegian, brave Norwegians and the Greeks who died in droves to try to fight the Nazis. So there were, it's a great place and you need it as a partner and it would exercise a lot of authority in the world rather right. than to be anti-American all the time and join with people who hate the West. Right. We can't uh, see the 1619 project and sit back and just let it happen and not fight back against no, it. No, you can't. You can't. And I know a lot of, the thing about Europeans are this, when you meet a conservative European they are some of the most articulate, bright, inductive people in the world. They really are. They have to be because they've been so beleaguered. But I do interviews with a lot of them from Italy and from Switzerland, and they're better informed than our conservatives. Yeah. And they're, they're very brave people, and they're starting to be in the ascendance. People are starting to listen to them because it doesn't work what the left did to Europe. It does not work. So we look at these horrible riots, these right-wing people that are rioting all over Ireland. Okay, and that's a terrible thing what they're doing. But when you have the leaders of the government of Ireland saying there's too many white people, and it's 98% white originally, there's too many of them, and we're going to let in 20% of the population is not going to be born in Ireland, and then you demonized your own people, and then an immigrant, supposedly from Algeria, tries to cut the throat of children. People get angry because they know nothing's going to happen. So, yes, they are barbaric. They're savage. They're breaking the law. But they represent something. And that is the anger at an elite who is adopting policies that are suicidal to the, right. yeah. to the, body, the body of the right. citizenry. And that's why people are angry. They have no voice. Right. These but unelected people and elected, but also a lot of them are unelected in bureaucracies. I mean, if Ireland becomes 20 percent, whatever else, Polish, Swahili, I don't know what you've talked about this numerous times. I mean, we are the melting pot, right? We you have to have a meritocracy in order to make that succeed. Right? And if you don't have a meritocracy, uh, a, a multiracial society is not going to succeed. Is that basically correct? Yeah, it is. And when you tell, you see what's happening in Europe, but also here is it's a paradox and everybody's afraid to articulate it. So 
you say that the majority white population or Western population, whatever group, whether you want to define them racially, I don't, but their critics do. But the people who follow the Western paradigm created the conditions under which people who are not in the Western paradigm want to join. Okay. So somebody in Gaza or Saudi Arabia's customs, traditions, and values do not lead to Paris or New York or the United States or Carmel. It doesn't do that. Right. But that person wants to then join the Western paradigm and they come over in droves. And when they get here, then they lodge conditions or they create conditions in which they're hostile. And they say, I'm a victim. I just set foot in your country, but because I'm not white, I'm a victim. And I want this and this and this. And I'm going to glue myself to the sidewalk during your annual Thanksgiving stupid uh, pilgrim parade. What are you going to do about it? And that's not a sustainable proposition unless you're intent on committing collective suicide. Just a fact. It doesn't, it's not sustainable. And people are saying it's not sustainable. And it's it's coming this anger at, at at these elites what they're doing so far their control of the media of academia the corporate boardroom entertainment popular culture foundations has able to give the left power and to have open borders open borders and institutional control or the duality that allow the left to stay in power without popular support and I don't think that's going to be sustainable either. I think finally the sheer numbers of people is going to overwhelm them that are getting angry. And they're getting angry for a lot of different reasons. But if the conservative movement is smart and they can unite around a candidate, then they can win the House, they can win the Senate, they can win the White House, and they can have an agenda within three months that can stop it. They can build a wall in three minutes. They can deport people. They can have travel bans. They can crack down on crime. They can start charging with federal racketeering charges, people who are committing these crimes across state lines. They can go after prosecutors who are deliberately not enforcing the law or trying to undermine it. They can do a lot of things. And you take that person in Brentwood, that uh, Jewish American who was active and Jewish politics and you have people come to his house and scream and yell and throw body bags supposedly on his garage the pictures show it and then pouring blood and defacing his and damaging his property and terrorizing his family you can in a normal world somebody would charge those people with i don't know conspiracy to commit you know da 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 but not george gustone in los angeles so right there, what we are in is an aberrant period in our history, and we're—I don't think it's going to—it's. I know it's not going to last because if it lasts, it'll destroy the country. So it's a question of not whether it will last; it's whether you want to destroy the country or not. And I think half of the people don't want to do it, and the other half may think they want to do it, but when it starts happening to them, they don't want to do it. Yeah. And so, just final little note. I think everybody should take a deep breath and remember that some of the things that we said, we being Americans, have been proven true. 
and the left lied about. There was no Russian collusion. That was cooked up by Hillary Clinton and Christopher Steele and the media. There was no Russian disinformation. That was cooked up by the Joe Biden campaign and Anthony Blinken concocted the 51 signees and the media. That laptop was authentic and it was damning proof of the corruption of the Biden. The lockdowns did not work. They caused more damage, economic, personal health than the virus did. And you and I talked last time, Jack, about a study that you brought to my attention that in the Southern Hemisphere, over, I think, 17 countries in four continents, that there was no difference or there was not only no difference in overall mortality rates, overall mortality rates or all mortality rates, I guess it's AMR, vis-a-vis the people who got the shots and didn't get the shots, meaning that COVID didn't, uh, apparently getting the shot did not lessen the mortality rate in the general population uh, when COVID was around. And some of the studies in some of the countries suggested that those countries that had vaccination mandates that covered a large number of the population, especially the elderly, they had higher mortality rates. And I got a lot of mail about that one and said, oh, you, you don't have any source for that. And da, 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 da. So. Well, I, yeah, we've, I mentioned that earlier. Yeah. So the sources are, are, are uh, up on your Twitter page yes. and, on the, and friendly, friendly sites, but uh, yeah, it was quite a damning study. I, I thought, and uh, it not only was with the vaccinations, not, uh, uh Health saving you really one way or the uh, other uh, the the post vaccination problems that we have may may even have made matters worse. But it ha- it has, and I I said something. A person wrote me a note and said, "You that's dangerous for you to say that." All I said was, when I got my Moderna, which I guess research has said compared to the Pfizer, it was the safest and most effective. I don't know if I have no reason to know whether that's true or not. That's what I have discovered that so-called literature, but I was told it had 90% efficacy. And Anthony Fauci said it probably would would maintain that for a long time. And I found that I not I was infected uh, three times after I had those two. Uh, so I was not, I was probably infectious and I got infected and I had a bad reaction to it and I got long COVID. So in my view, I don't know, I think it might have, provided some safety against the most pernicious or virulent original form of the virus. And I thank Moderna for that. But at some point, it became counterproductive or irrelevant whether you were getting these boosters or not, because you were going to get it anyway. And we don't still know, and we won't know for years, what the total effects were of using an untried new mechanism of vaccination, kind of genetic engineering to make these cells produce spike proteins. But anyway, what I'm getting at is all the things that that we were told were canonical or biblical, almost biblical truth, uh, were all lies. They were all lies. And everybody kind of knew it. We all knew that January 6th was a bunch of buffoons that went crazy and some couple hundred people should got violent. They should be prosecuted, but it was a drop in the bucket compared to 2020. 
where the 14,000 people who were arrested were mostly let go. And this 40,000 hours are starting to creep out. I don't know if you saw some of them, Jack. There was a, an older elderly lady who allegedly was a grandmother was pushed down a, a bunch of stairs if she had been in if she had been a person of color in the May uh, riots and a policeman had done that, there would have been a riot. But they just Absolutely. knocked her down and she did a kind of a somersault and rolled down the steps. Well, that's your problem. You shouldn't yeah. be here. OK, yeah, I, I let's enforce the law, but let's do it equitably. That's what all people want. And uh, the, the thing is that anytime someone takes and calibrates a person's color or personal uh, appearance and makes that essential essentialism then they're racist no matter what the motive is they're racist and so you turn on the view and they say wait 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 you're racist you're racist doesn't matter what you're saying or you're you're going to you're a university admissions officer and you're ignoring criteria and you think as god that you're going to play god and pick people on the basis of their race that's racist you're in a theme house and you want to go into a theme where everybody looks like yourself and you don't want anybody else in your theme house. You have a separate graduation that's based on race. You don't want anybody from a different race in your particular graduate. That's racist. Sorry, it is. And anybody who doesn't call it out is a coward. Well, Victor, racism is um, the final topic we'll keep keep on uh, in today's uh, podcast. We'll also add in... Uh, transgenderism and we're, we're going to stick to Europe and one of the reasons why they're a growing backlash to the elites in Europe has to do with the elites and their application of 2023 uh, ideology onto European history and actually onto Roman history too and we'll get to all this final topic right after this final message <laughs> CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Back with the Victor Davis Hanson Show. I want to remind our listeners to visit the Blade of Perseus. That's Victor's website, victorhanson.com. Go there. You will find links to Victor's various writings, his syndicated columns, um, links to the archives of these podcasts, to his books. By the way, the, the next book, forthcoming book, is uh, titled The End of Everything. How Wars Descend into Annihilation. Click on the link, learn about it. It comes out in May of 2024, and you should order a copy. Hey, if you're interested in uh, 
it's almost Christmas, Victor. It's about a month away. So uh, especially if you're a military history buff, Victor's got a lot of books on military history. Check them out. Grandpa, Uncle Bill, Cousin Joe. I shouldn't leave the women out of this. Sister Sue <laughs> may be interested. So make great, great Christmas gifts. So the, anyway, um, VictorHanson.com and subscribe because you will not be able to read Victor's ultra articles that he writes exclusively for the website. Some of them are some of them are doozies. This this week's on the angry readers are, are a lot wow. of really nutty angry readers. But yeah. don't don't uh, despair. I have a nice one I've got coming out tomorrow. Oh, okay. On Monday. All right. Yeah. All right. It'll be a good cheer. Okay, Rare, Victor. I get one, but I did get one. Well, that's 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 good. It's not all not all Eeyore. So um gosh, Victor, I sent you a link to this Twitter, uh, the Daily Mail article about these um th- there's an attempt to, to cast the, the black plague as racist because some excavation found some bodies and they're extrapolating that these were blacks and blacks were more in in britain in in the 14th century were more likely to be victims of of the plague than not it's just this effing craziness it has it's been completely rejected on almost every ground. The criteria by which you judge a skull in a particular race depends as much on diet and health as it does on innate racial characteristics. They're not sure that these people were black. Uh, the number of people who died of natural causes uh, is not that was what they used to say that the people who died of plague, it was an ordinarily a different number, but we don't really know the exact criteria by which they right. died of natural causes. Uh, we don't have very much information about demography in the last three centuries or before that in England. But to the degree we do, it doesn't suggest that people who were black from Africa constituted the proportion of the population by which these forensic anthropologists said they did. So then we're left with, why? why would you try to get why would you say something that doesn't have scientific support? Because it's in the paper. That's why you know that if you say something that's politically correct and it will enhance your career, then you apply for a fellowship. And I'm the person who found an unrecognized racist tradition in the West. Therefore, I need to get this grant or I, I should be eligible. I'm just saying that because... I am reading applications for my institution for applicants, and I can tell you that, and I don't want to mention the institution because I'm affiliated with some, but I can tell you that this affects people and they will say things in their application that suggest that they're woke. And that's why we have this type of research. And it's, it's everywhere. And so the sense is that if you can go back, if you're a historian and you can go back and find some esoteric theory of racism that has contemporary ramifications, then it's going to enhance your application for a fellowship, for admissions, for tenure, retention, promotion, whatever. So it's politicized. It's kind of like in the 1930s, you know, when 
you were a hydraulic engineer in the Soviet Union, and you said Chairman Stalin said that you can drain the Caspian Sea or something. And he was right, and I showed you could do it. And then you got promoted. And that's how it works in a, a commissar system. And that's what we have. So it's, I don't know, that type of research is, it would, it, it, it's not scientifically viable. Everybody's attacked it. It was just something a person put out to gain notoriety and therefore career enhancement. Well, Victor, it's not always about race. Uh, sometimes it's about appendages. I was uh, reading a, a piece that my a uh, former colleague at National Review, Madeline Kearns, wrote. She wrote it not for NR, but for The Telegraph. And it's it's titled, uh, here, A Transgender Emperor and a Racist Plague, whatever Whatever's Next. So for The Telegraph, she wrote, this is the beginning of her piece, who knew that Elagabalus, I'm sure I've mispronounced that, the third century Roman emperor, was transgender. This remarkable detail was somehow missed by generations of historians over thousands of years. Yet this week, the North Hertfordshire Museum in North London has brought it to the attention of many. So, Victor, once again, we, we take our, our modern progressive uh, proclivities and ideologies and have to apply them now to, to 1700 years ago to show i think this you know these things you're a, you're a, you're an ancient historian uh, this guy sounds like he was a crackpot and a weirdo but uh no it's very important that we cast him today for at least it's important for the north hertfordshire museum uh, to cast him as as transgender and getting into what we talked about earlier this is part of the, the an ingredient in the stew that may be leading to uh, the uh, uh, rise of conservative or non-liberal reaction in Europe. Yeah. Well, if you look at contemporary sources about Ella Gabalas, um, the criticism, first of all, he was only 14 and it was kind of an accent that he became emperor for just four years until they did away with him because he was so unhinged. And he was different because he was an Arab. He was from Syria. And um, at that time, there had been North Africans. I don't think there had been Syrian emperors before that. But in the ancient world, they didn't have rigid heterosexual, homosexual divides. In other words, for the elite, not the, not the common or the agrarian classes, which was 90% of the population, but for the elite, it wasn't held against a man if he had sexual relations in the active, the male role with a younger boy or teenager. Odium occurred when people who you would say in modern terms were biologically homosexual, that is, they were exclusively homosexual, and there are anywhere from 2 to 3% of the population probably, that they continued that activity with men their own age or older than they were, and they assumed a passive role. And there were people all through history like that, and they in Greek and Roman history, and they then earned an odium. Okay, so the problem with Elagabalus wasn't that he engaged in homosexual relations per se, because the Emperor Hadrian, who was one of the most popular and successful uh, 
emperors had a partner, Antinous, who he did all the time with, but he was the active older man. And it was a pederastic relationship where the younger person was used as a female. Okay. But Elagabalus belonged to that small percentage of the population who was exclusively homosexual. And therefore, according to the times, was assumed that he would marry, had to marry, even though he was 14 to 18, and that he, if he had homosexual uh, activities, they would be with a younger person and he would be the active member. But he didn't fit that. And the ancient sources then said he was woman womanish. And there were some suggestions that he wanted to be uh, as a woman. But that's common in, in the effeminate part of male homosexuality. There are male homosexuals who prefer the submissive role, if I could use that archaic ossified language. Okay, so he was that. And no one ever said he was transgendered, although, you know, in Petronius's uh, Satyricon and other novels, the transvestism is very common where men are dressing up as women or they wear, and it was called effeminate. And But no one said they actually were members of the opposite race. The, the, transgenderism is a biological reality for a very small subset. So this transgender craze comes, and just like the blacks in the plague in London, then it opens a whole avenue of opportunistic research. So people go back and they say, ah, he really, really, really wasn't a effeminate homosexual as we all thought he was and as the sources said he was, and therefore he was condemned for it. He was actually transgendered, and he thought that he was a real woman. And they went back and looked at certain passages when he said he'd like being female, but that didn't mean he was transgendered necessarily. So I think that's what has happened, that contemporaries want to turn someone who was reviled in the ancient world as being a passive homosexual when he became an age where he was assumed to favor mostly women and to the degree that he engaged in male-on-male -male relations, it would be in a pederastic dominant role, so to speak. And he didn't fit that stereotype, and therefore he was condemned, and, and that was one of the reasons he was killed. He was also violent. So um, modern researchers go back and they say, oh, wow. I've got a new take on him. He was actually transgendered. He was poor guy was trying to become a woman and he was damned by the oppressive mores of his society. Well, that's what we have once more. Well, well, my friend, we've come uh, about to the um, end of our, uh, our uh, podcast here. I, as we, as we do whenever we come to the end uh, and to the home stretch, we thank our listeners and thank you listeners for listening. And thank you those who rate the show at iTunes slash Apple and some leave comments and we do read them. And here's one that's really uh, short and sweet, Victor. It's, it's titled Informative and it's very simple. I love VDH. He is so intelligent. I've turned my husband on to him too. <laughs> And that's from Orange Chewy, Orange Chewy. So, Victor, you are affecting positively 
marital relationships. Well, thank you. I hope I can be of some help. You know, I got a letter and you mentioned uh, you got a letter, but about the Roman emperors, we were talking about Elagabalus and someone said your favorite Roman emperor. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, I was going to, I thought I'd save that, but let's we'll stretch the show uh, uh, a Just little. Just two yeah, minutes. Someone wanted to, wanted to know, like, if Victor could go back in time, uh, what Roman emperor would he, would he, want to live under and by the way victor i've nuances here if you lived in a certain time would you would you victor the roman citizen want to live in rome itself or somewhere else within the empire <laughs> so, sorry. i would not want to live in rome a million people no no but i think no. northern italy would be nice okay uh, well under whose under who's, uh well half of me wants to say that that reign of Augustus from 31 at the Battle of Actium and his ascendance and then to 14 AD when he died, that was a long time, you know, 45 years where although he ended the violence of the Republic and he institutionalized the Senate not as a deliberative legislative body, but as a consulting body, there was uh there was something to be said for it because that was a period when you had Propertius and Virgil and Livy uh, writing, and there was an end to the Civil War, and the Augustan policy was to accept the borders of the empire and not to go on to costly, Crassus-like uh, invasions of Parthia or et cetera. So it was a, a quiet time, but he's blasted because to get where he is, he was pretty bloodthirsty during the civil wars. Edward Gibbon became famous because he resurrected uh, Machiavelli's discourses where he said that there was a brief period in the Roman Empire of some 500 years in the West, starting with the Emperor Nerva, 96, I think, all the way to the death of Marcus Aurelius, which was about 90 years of Nerva and then the Emperor Trajan and then the Emperor Hadrian and then the Emperor Antonius Pius and then Marcus Aurelius the philosopher. And in that period of nine plus decades, there was not a major foreign war. There were wars on the boundary, but not the kind that threatened the integrity of the empire. There was not a lot of civil wars. There was not a lot of Neronian or uh, Caligula type executions. And Gibbon then took that and said, this was the finest period, not just in Rome, but the finest period in Western history to be alive as far as being secure and prosperous. And there's something to that when you go Archaeologically, when you look at uh, strata of, you know, it, it sort of goes classical Greek, Hellenistic. It starts with Mycenaean, then archaic, archaic, and then classical Greek, then Hellenistic, then Roman Republic, then Roman Imperial, then Byzantine. When you get to Roman Imperial at that age, roughly from 96 maybe to 180, 190, you don't see a lot of trauma, let's say, but you do see evidence of prosperity, a lot of glass, a lot of fine pottery, etc., metal, coinage, it's not debased. So that that's the general appearance that would have been nice to live in 100 years. It's sort of like saying, 
what was a period in the United States when you had access to medical research that allowed you to live, say, to 75 and you could defeat diseases like typhus or smallpox or polio and yet there was prosperity for the first time you had a, and there was still a traditional society that was crime free and i think most people would say somewhere between 1950 to 3 until 1965 or something that that period was a very confident period the jfk eisenhower period government was pretty stable we weren't in great debt uh, the Korean War we'd got through it was before really the Vietnam War, the hippie movement, and people were GI Bill. They were getting educated. Universities were popping up. Freeways were being built. It was a very competent, can-do society. And the movies show that. There's some great movies from the late 50s yeah. into the early 60s. And then it became yeah. what we what we see now. So if you were to say, what period would you like to be in Rome? I'd say probably during the reign of Trajan, Hadrian, Antonius Pius, or Marcus Aurelius, maybe the last few years of Augustus, or um, Vespasian would have been, been a good time to be alive. He was a good emperor. Titus was a good emperor. And then maybe in the United States, something in the middle 50s to the early 60s. I have really good memories of the early 60s that transcend just being, you know, nine or 10 when everybody's happy. Right. It just, and we didn't have a lot of material wealth. We lived in a very small little house and we, our cars always broke down. We were always buying these, but everybody was happy and there was all this aspirational yeah. uh, agendas well. that everybody had. You know, a guy would come by and he'd be a third cousin. He's, hey, you know, you got to come down to LA. I've opened a boat sales uh company we're selling a lot of boats now or somebody would come by and say you know i got this thing called a winnebago it's wonderful you know there was an up whether you liked it or not it was upbeat it was confident yeah and uh there still was some, yeah the universities were were liberal very liberal but they were not anti-american and you could come home from school and and watch luca libre so <laughs> so great times you know, my dad said that's funny you said that when i went to college in 1971 he just said when i when you come home for thanksgiving just do me a favor don't have your hair below your ears don't smoke marijuana and don't tell me how awful i was in world war ii <laughs> <laughs> that's a simple simple yeah, request yeah, so. so he knew that well, Victor, thanks for all the wisdom you shared. I want to thank the folks who uh, subscribe to Civil Thoughts, the free weekly email newsletter I write for the Center for Civil Society uh, at Amphil, where we do indeed try to strengthen civil society. Go to civilthoughts.com to sign up. Victor, thanks for your wisdom. Thanks, folks, for listening. We will be back soon with another episode of the Victor Davis Hanson Show. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. It's Amanda Head, and I am thrilled to introduce to you my new exciting podcast, Furthermore, with Amanda Head, broadcasting weekly from sunny Los Angeles, California, and brought to you by the dynamic Just the News Podcast Network. On this fresh and engaging podcast, I delve into the latest news with a little bit of a twist, exploring the furthermore of every story. But this isn't your typical run-of-the-mill news commentary or politically charged program. I interview a diverse range of guests, including business leaders, entertainers, musicians, 
educators, experts, politicians, and many influential figures from both the United States and around the world. So why not make your Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays a little more interesting? Tune in on your preferred podcast platform and discover furthermore with Amanda Head on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. And don't forget to hit that follow or subscribe button and be sure to download the latest episodes. I can't wait to have you join me on this exciting journey. Journey.